Good morning. Welcome to Seek the Word podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Ritchie, pastor of Grace Community Christian Church in Plymouth, Indiana. We want to thank you for listening to our first broadcast of the program. Seek the Word ministry is a ministry dedicated to the truth, scriptural truth, found in God's Word. We hold the Bible as our authority and affirm sola scriptura, or scripture alone. We hold that scripture alone is the authority in our church and in our lives. Since we began in 2013, we have worked at directing people to the scriptures for answers and helping them grasp God's word in a manner consisting of the practice of hermeneutics and contextualization. It is this very topic of biblical authority in which we want to begin with today. Sadly, in many churches today, the scriptures are no longer seen as the authority and the standard. Far too many churches have allowed the culture to dictate the standard, to set what is right and wrong. We have seen so many churches today in an attempt to cater to the secular culture, they have made concessions on scriptural truth. In our Western culture, we have seen a mass amount of churches become more concerned with being relevant rather than righteous. They've attempted to make their worship services appealing to those living in and for the world by incorporating aspects and practices of the world. They are more concerned with entertaining the masses rather than feeding God's people. We've seen worship take on aspects of a rock concert with dimming the house lights and laser shows, even smoke machines in some instances. The worship songs are merely repeated mantras over and over again until the worshipers are almost in a trance-like state. The truth is, the praise and worship practices in many of these large, seeker-sensitive, culturally-friendly churches appear to have more in common with pagan idol worship than actual worship of God. Then the sermons are merely light, fluffy morality tales or motivational speeches telling people they can do it. The pastors that desecrate the pulpits, if there even is one, in these churches tell light-hearted, funny tales or personal life stories sprinkled with some scripture taken out of context to support whatever the topic of the day they happen to have an opinion on is. No conviction, no biblical wisdom, no maturing of the body. They avoid depth or hard-to-get messages because they don't want to offend anyone. They just want everyone to be able to come, zone out for a bit, put their money in the plate, and leave feeling good about themselves because these churches have made it all about you. It's all about you, how you feel, what you want, what you desire, and truthfully, many sitting in churches every Sunday morning have made it about themselves. They have no understanding of what church is, It is the gathering of the body of believers to exalt and praise and worship God. It's not about you. It's not about how you feel, what you want. It's solely about God. Many churches in our nation today have removed God from their focus. They've put the scriptures and the authority of scriptures in the back, all in the name of building more gymnasiums, buying more flat-screen televisions, installing another slide for the kids, and adding another wing to the building. Why? because they are about entertaining goats rather than feeding the sheep. Church is for the sheep, not the goats. But the mentality in churches today is to gear everything around attracting the goats. When this happens, the sheep are not fed and are malnourished. Listen, we as shepherds are called to preach the word. We feed the sheep. We hope and pray goats wander in and we feed them the same as we feed the sheep. If the Holy Spirit is drawing them, they will hunger for the word. They will hunger for depth. If they're offended by the word, if they have no interest in the word of God, that is a telltale sign of where their heart is. 
as pastors and leaders in Christ and in, as leaders in the church, our concern is not people's comfort. Our concern is their salvation. To paraphrase a quote by the great pastor John MacArthur, no pastor's ministry should be measured by the numbers of bottoms sitting in the pews or seats. It should be measured by the Christ-likeness of those sitting under his teaching. So how does this tie into our discussion on scriptural authority? Well, fallen, depraved sinners in their natural state apart from God do not want to be under God's authority. In our natural sinful state, we elevate ourselves to be the king. We worship us. The idol most often worshipped in one's life is him or herself. Surrendering to God's authority makes no sense to someone on the, of the carnal mind. Today, there are many people who claim they believe in God, but they do not believe in the Bible. They have no understanding that this is an impossibility. They cannot divorce God from his word, as we will see shortly. Now, understand, they do believe in a God, small g, but it is a God that they have fashioned for themselves. Why? Because they want a God that justifies their behaviors. They want to go on living for themselves, feeding their worldly desires and appetites. If they hold the scriptural authority, their world would be radically changed. They've bought into the myth the world perpetuates, that any belief in anything is, is valid and saving. They have a distorted view of who God is and who they really are. And part of that distortion is a misunderstanding of true worship of the true God. Many, even sadly, many sitting in churches today believe if they are a good person, then that is all that matters. If your good outweighs your bad, then when it's all said and done, you will be saved. The problem is, who defines what is good? Everybody in every culture has a different idea of what constitutes good and bad. If your idea of what is good is different than someone living in the Middle East or China or Africa, whose idea of good is right? See, that's what makes Christianity, true biblical Christianity, so different than every other major world religion. All other major religions are based around, you do more good than bad, and you'll be okay. Just be a good person. Well, we've already looked at the whole in that as, as who defines what is good. Christianity is not about anything you can do. You can do nothing to save yourself because it is not about you. It's not about what you do. It is solely about what Christ has done. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It is by God's grace we are saved. We do not deserve it. If we did, anything, did something to deserve it or to earn it, it would not be grace. And all those good works, those great deeds that we believe are going to save us, well... Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Our good deeds are like polluted garments, filthy, dirty, but sadly, many sitting in churches are being allowed to continue and never being challenged on these distortions. And why? because biblical authority has been compromised and undermined in so many churches today. Our text I want to look at today is from 2 Timothy. A little background 
First and Second Timothy were letters written by the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were written to Timothy, Paul's protege to some degree. Timothy had become the pastor of the church in Ephesus. The church had been plagued with issues, and at this time, some elders in the body were bringing in some false teaching, culturally influenced teachings into the body, and putting pressure on young Timothy. These letters were written to encourage Timothy, to inspire Timothy, and to remind him of whom we worship and where the authority in the church is in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, starting with verse 10 You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, what happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to, to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In verses 10 through 12, Paul assures Timothy of his own suffering for the gospel and how the Lord saw him through them. And in verse 12, reminds Timothy, and by proxy, all of us as readers, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. This is not what the nominal so-called Christian sitting in some large church wants to hear in between trips to the coffee bar in the lobby. No, they want to hear how better their life is going to be because they come to church or they hold down a pew or they volunteer at the food drive once a month. And they listen to Christian radio in the minivan while taking the kids to school. I mean, it's hard to imagine persecution when your ears are still ringing from the pre-planned, emotionally triggering rock concert and light show you just set through that you call praise. See, these churches are so caught up in being accepted by the culture and wanting peace with the culture, attempting to look like and behaving similar to the culture, that they do not understand the concept of persecution. The reality of all this is, if in our nation, if violent persecution of Christians began because of holding to biblical truths and scriptural authority, most pastors would have nothing to worry about. They sold out to the culture long ago. Jesus says in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world, the culture, it hates God, and they hate Jesus. Now let me clarify, they hate the biblical God and the biblical Jesus. They have fashioned a very westernized Jesus. You know, he walks around with flowing hair and a lamb on his shoulders just hugging everyone and is all about peace. But understand, that is not the Jesus in the Scriptures. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. Jesus himself states, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now understand, Jesus is not instructing us to take our fa- to hate our families. He's speaking in some hyperbole here. He's emphasizing how important this relationship with him is, and he's letting his followers know this is not easy. Living a life for Christ will cost you friends. It will cost you relationships. It will cost you family. It may cost you your life. But today, so many of these churches preach a message of finding peace with the world and having peace with the world. So they have become all-inclusive and accepting the world and allowing the world to dictate right and wrong and set the standard. The world hates God. It hates Christ. And it hates those whom truly represent Christ. That's why appeasing the world and appeasing the culture is not our mission. Look in the book of James. James Chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These culturally friendly churches, these churches that are pandering to the culture, these churches concerned with being culturally relevant, are making themselves enemies of God. Back in 2 Timothy 3, Verse 13, Paul addresses that evil people and imposters, these, these are false teachers, those who come into the church with a false message outside of Scripture, or which does not align with God's Word. And evil people, these are unsaved, unconverted people who are there for them. And they have no understanding of the Scriptures, the Gospel. They are deceived by these false teachings. These people are without God. They are without the Holy Spirit, and they will continue distorting Scripture and deceiving people, and those under their teachings following them will continue to be deceived. Many of these people are those who fall under the concept of works-based salvation, that salvation is based on your doing good or uh, their own merit, believing that they deserve to be saved, as if God owes it to them to save them. Jesus himself discusses the fate of these false converts in Matthew. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone, and this is Jesus speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Understand the the fact that they are using the phrase Lord, Lord in the Greek. This denotes, denotes intimacy. These people are truly believed they had an intimate relationship with Christ. But sadly, they did not and were merely deceived into believing so. Verse 14 through 15, we see Paul encourage Timothy to hold to what he knows to be true. This would be the scriptural truths from the Old Testament writings. They did not have the New Testament. The New Testament was happening in real time to them. Then in verse 16, we see this defining scripture of biblical authority. All scripture is breathed out by God 
It does not say some scripture. It does not say this scripture or that scripture, but all, the entirety of it was breathed out by God. It is the very breath of God. It is his direct word delivered by the Holy Spirit through human hands. Why do we hold the scripture in such high regard as the authority in our church, as the authority in our lives? Why do we hold the Bible as the standard in which to live? Because it is the direct recorded word of God. If something comes against the word of God, that something is wrong, not the word of God. If we have a personal belief that is in contrast to the word of God, we are wrong. That's simple. And I love what Paul goes on to say in this verse. It is profitable for meaning, it's good for, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. When we no longer hold the scripture as authority, what are we using to teach God's people? What are we using as reproof in our churches? Denominational bylaws? Traditions? How do we correct those in our congregation? What standard are we using? Not our own lives, I hope. Truth is, these seeker-sensitive churches, these culturally-friendly churches, are no longer correcting. They are no longer worried about reproof. And the teaching is surface, easy to digest fluff, often taken out of context, often bent to convey the point that the pastor is trying to make. Understand, he's taking scripture out of context to make his point rather than teaching the point of the scriptures to the people. They forsaken training anyone in righteousness a long time ago. Instead, they prepare them to be engaging with the culture. Because, hey, it's all about relationships, right? Wrong. It's all about Christ. Why is teaching, reproofing, correcting, and training so important? Verse 17 in our text. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These churches are not worried about you being complete. They are worried about you being comfortable, so you keep coming back. And their parishioners are allowed to have a distorted view of actual good works. Understand, any work, any work, no matter how great the world thinks it is, or how noble the culture thinks it is, or how many pats on the back you get, it's a filthy garment if it's not done for the glory of God. It's all about God. Our good works do not produce salvation, but rather our sanctification produces good works. Because if we are being sanctified, being made more like Christ, a process which begins at the time of our salvation, and we will never be complete this side of heaven, then we understand that all we do is to bring God glory. How important is the Scripture and the authority of Scripture in all of this? Real fast, let's go into 2 Timothy chapter 4, just a little past our text today, just a, just a, a, a little bit here. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Paul continues, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Verse 2 there, Paul instructs Timothy to preach the word, not tell funny stories, not give your opinion on political topics, not talk about whatever the hot-button topic of the day is, not tell them about your testimony. No, preach the word. The word of God has power. It has authority. It is the standard. That's why we, we hold to expository preaching. We preach the scriptures. That's become a lost art in our churches today. The churches have forsaken that because, again, they want to entertain the people, so they want to talk about the topics that are entertaining to the people. They want to talk about the controversial topics that the people are going to be interested in. And so then they, they talk about those topics and they sprinkle some Scripture here and there. That's not preaching. The examples we get of preaching in the Scripture, they get the Word, the scripture and an explanation. They exposit it. Even Christ, when he uses the parables, he ties the parables into scripture and then explains. It's why expository preaching is so important. We've seen the cultural friendly, seeker sensitive movement and the explosion of the nominal Christian in our culture today. Because they're not being washed with the word. They're not being trained in the word. They're not being taught the word. I remember when we started our church. We were told that this is the pattern that you had to, you had to do. You had to do, do A, B, and C. You had to have this, and you had to have this, and you had to have this ministry, and you had to have that ministry. That's what the church was. Now, remember saying, we're not doing any outreach for the first year. We're not going to do any type of ministry outside of the church here for the first year. We are simply going to pour theology and sound biblical teaching into the people that God sends. And that's what we did. And amazingly, people kept coming. People were hungering for the word. You see, those whom the Holy Spirit is drawing, those whom God is drawing and reconciling to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, in them is a desire for the word of God. In them is a hunger for the word of God. It's like the, the eunuch who Philip is led by the Spirit to go over and and speak to. The eunuch has been reading a, a portion of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and he's hungering for an explanation of that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been laying the groundwork in the eunuch's life, bringing him to this point. And he's hungering for more. When Philip asks, Do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch says, how can I unless somebody guides me through? And he invites Philip up. And Philip opens his mouth and Philip tells him about Christ. Philip takes him to the scripture, takes him to Christ. 
and then explain salvation. This doesn't happen in topical sermons. This doesn't happen to entertain. This is salvation that we are dealing with here, not entertainment. Sadly, that point has been lost in so many churches today. The Word of God has power. It is the author, has authority, and it is our standard. Be ready in season and out of season, Paul tells Timothy, which means always, always. When is it, it good to preach the Word? Always, in season, out of season. It's good to preach the Word in season when you're around those who, who understand it and get it and are hungry and out of season, even when you come to a point to where the people don't want to hear it, you still preach the word. Today, so many churches have, they give out, uh, they give out uh, ballots and they give out surveys in an attempt to find out what their congregation wants, what the people want. They let them guide the direction of the church. They let them be the authority and their own desires be the authority of the church rather than saying this is the word of God. This is what we're called to preach. This is what we're called to use as our authority and our standard. This is what we do. They're afraid of people leaving. Understand something again if they reject the word of God that tells you where their heart is. If they don't get it, that tells you where their heart is. Look at verse 3 and 4 of 2 Timothy 4. Why are these culturally friendly, seeker-sensitive, no-theology-teaching, gospel-like churches filled? Why on a Sunday morning can you drive by the church that you know in town is the, is the church that is gospel light, is the church that's trying to appease the culture, is the it church that everybody in town with a name or anybody in town with any power goes to so they look good, so they hold down a pew? Why is that church filled? Because they are delivering what carnal sinners want to hear Carnal sinners do not want to be challenged. They don't want to be convicted. They want to be assured that the way they are living is okay so they can go on living the way they desire to live. And they feel good that they sat in a church and they heard an entertaining speaker. They have found teachers to suit their own passions. They turn away from the truth and they wander off into myths such as works-based salvation or to love someone is to accept everything about them or the myth that Jesus wants to meet you where you are. Where is that in Scripture? Jesus calls us out of the world, out of our willful, willful sin. We're called to repent, turning away from a life of willful sin and turning to Christ. He calls us out and away from the life we were living. He calls us to a life lived for Christ because a life lived for Christ is a radically changed life. It's to be radically different than a life lived the world but sadly those truths are never really taught 
They maybe get glossed over once a year in hopes of appeasing those in the congregation which have accidentally stumbled upon a real sound biblical theology outside of the church. And the authority of Scripture is undermined and disregarded in favor of a desire to appear relevant in today's culture or to get more money for the new edition, or to add some more seeker-sensitive, seeker-attracting ministries to entertain. Our prayer is that a reformation breaks out in these churches, and the scriptures return to the forefront as authority in all aspects of the church, the teaching, the preaching, the practice, the ministry, and the lives of the congregants. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone, we preach the Bible. If you're called to shepherd a people for God, you're called to preach the Bible. This is the heart of our ministry. It's a heart and a desire to get to the truth of the Scripture, to place God rightfully where He should be, to place the Scriptures rightfully where they should be as the authority in our churches, as the authority in our lives, and as the standard in which we're called to live will we fail yes that's why we need Christ that's why Christ had to come to bridge the gap from our our failure and inability to live to the standard of God and to reconcile our fallen depraved sinful hearts to a righteous and holy and perfect God I want to thank you today for for tuning in and for listening. We'll return tomorrow with another journey through the scripture and ask for questions. Questions can be submitted to us through our Facebook page, Seek the Word. We ask that that you you check that out and, and, and please feel free to contact us with any questions or We also pray that you belong to a congregation grounded in strong biblical theology, which holds the scriptures as the authority. If you're in the Plymouth, Indiana area and are looking for a church, we invite you to join us Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are located at 612 East Jefferson Street, Plymouth, Indiana. Again, we thank you for listening today and look forward to hearing from you.